That's what we're here for. We're here to help you with your money. We're here to help answer your questions and certainly provide a non-judgmental experience. I'm Matt Fazell from Madison, Wisconsin, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Sometimes our client's behavior just doesn't seem in line with their wishes, and Maggie Clockengay has seen it all. She's made it her mission to help clients get unstuck from their unproductive beliefs and behaviors around money. Up next, Maggie speaks with Hannah Moore about how she got involved with financial coaching, the five tools she uses to clarify emotional issues and build more humane financial plans, and four phrases you can use to turn a tough conversation into a stepping stone to a deeper and more productive client relationship. Well, thank you, Maggie, for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Hannah. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. Well, and there is so much I know that we can cover uh, with you talking about being a financial coach. What does that look like? How does, what are the differences and similarities being, you know, a planner versus a coach? But what I want to start with is kind of just your career path and how you got into financial planning, because you did not come from a traditional four-year program uh, into this field. So how did you get interested in financial planning and kind of how did you make that shift? Yeah. Yes. I'm definitely what I would consider myself non-traditional. So, um, I, for all of those who are listening and you're wondering, Oh, you know, you're feeling that pull towards something else. Possibly you are looking to change careers. Um, I'm 46 years old. I am proud to say it just turned and you can make a career change if that is your, you know, where your passion is pulling you. But my first um, foray was always in the financial services field, but it was in public accounting. So not only am I a certified financial planner, but I'm also a certified public accountant. And that is what I went to school for. And I'm old enough that I did not even have to sit for the 150 hour requirement, which that was a requirement to take the CPA exam. So I did my four-year degree at Truman State University and I got it in accounting. And then I went and worked at public accounting firms and really did auditing first, did that for a couple of years, and then went into taxes, working primarily with high net worth individuals, um, trusts, estates, et cetera. And I got to a point in taxes where it got really technical. And to me, honestly, it just, I was helping really rich people stay rich. And I just was, I was kind of over it. Um, and I was looking, you know, where else could I use my skill set? I really enjoyed working with people one-on-one with their money. And so I jumped ship at the public accounting firm that I was at and went to an investment advisory firm, literally just down the street, I think two blocks from where I was and, um, started working there and was working with individuals, um, who are just salt of the earth, wonderful people had worked all their lives and just creating a nest egg for themselves. And then we're looking to say, okay, now what do we do with, you know, now that we've been accumulating, what do we do now when it's time to time to retire? And so I worked in the investment advisory space with a couple different firms um, for about seven years. And in that time, probably in the last few years, it started to feel another pull where what more can I do? You know, how can I work with people at more of a base level of, first of all, working with their cash flow? Because what I was seeing is sometimes I would see uh, we'd have adult clients, so older clients, and they'd have their adult children come in 
And these adult children had a lot of debt, not as much money per se, probably some money in the 401k and maybe not that much cash outside their 401k, but they needed help. And I thought, you know, how, what can I do? How can, how can we help them? And we would provide them a financial plan and then send them on their way, which was fine. And then they could go implement it, um, you know, for themselves. So while we were doing that, I, I kept thinking, okay, what can I do? What can I do? So I was researching and my husband and I decided to teach Financial Peace University, which is one of Dave Ramsey's products. And people are either a huge Dave Ramsey fan or they are not at all. And for those who know me, they know, and Dave Ramsey would say, and I'm holding up my hand doing the wishwashy that I'm Ramsey-ish. So I believe in some of the things he says, but I'm not full gazelle intensity on what, on everything that he says. And so when we taught the FPU class at our church, what really intrigued me was it wasn't the material. It was that the attendees who were coming, this was not their first time attending. Over half the attendees, it was their second or third time coming. And I thought, why was that? You know, what, what was it that they were not getting off that hamster wheel? And I appreciated so much their vulnerability and coming back, right? A second or third time, because that, that takes some vulnerability. And I thought, okay, what, you know, what more can I do again? So I started researching just into the psychology of money, why we do the things we do and really stumbled more into um, the teachings of Dr. Brad Klontz, who's a financial psychologist and a CFP, and he and his father, Ted Klontz, you know, they've written many money books, um, I've coined the term money scripts. And really from there, I thought, okay, just honed in on how can I share with people why we do the things we do with our money? And then from there, show them and work together with the hows so they can achieve their what's. So I started doing some pro bono coaching last fall because COVID hit. Millions of people are losing their jobs. I thought, okay, again, what can I do? So I was just doing some pro bono coaching and primarily working with couples. And Hannah, it was, there was a moment where there was a couple I had been coaching them and they said, you know, Maggie, in the 20 years we've been married, we've never been able to talk to each other like this about our money without getting into a fight. And it just filled my soul. And I was just like, yes, I'm in the right place. This is it. And so from there, it then kind of moved rather quickly. In January, I left my firm. I also joined um, the Finance Fix program, which Gene Chatsky uh, runs. And so I became a financial coach through that program. And also, as Michael Kitsis is always talking about, making sure you have that runway It's for financial advisors, um, I still am using my CPA and have been working at a CPA firm as well. Because as you know, tax... I mean, the tax legislation in the last five years has been insane. So keeping my toe in that way. Um, but yeah, so it's been just amazing um, because ultimately what I wanted to do, having that passion and, and, and wanting to help people, but I also wanted to create a work family or a, fam- a family life that surrounds my three boys, my husband and me, and making sure that my work worked around them. 
So just like today, after we record this podcast, I'm going to go and walk to school and go pick them up from school because I can, because I've made the space for that. And that's been really important to me. COVID's really showed me what it is that I want, what it is that we want for our family. And that's another reason, you know, making that career change, not only from the financial advisory space into creating my own RIA and doing the coaching, but doing it in a way that is honoring my whole family unit has been the utmost importance. Oh, I love that. And I don't think, I mean, maybe we do talk about it a lot, but I don't think we can talk about it enough of how this really is a career that you can build your life around. Um, And, you know, I know we were talking, I was like, there's a baby right outside my door right now. So you might hear her crying, uh, but she's at the office today. Uh, And you can really just, you really can build, build your life around this. So I'm curious, you talked about that conversation with a couple uh, who they said that they've never been able to have those money conversations. Tell me what were the money conversations that you were having for them that were so um, elusive for them for so many years? Yes. So one of the things that, like I said, is um, the term money script. So um, Dr. Klontz has coined this term money scripts, and it's basically beliefs that we have about money that were learned in our childhood, taught to us by our loved ones, either parents, grandparents, other caregivers, and they have come into our adulthood and we're still having them subconsciously. And so when, especially when I work with couples, you know, you've got two dynamic personalities and you've got this usually not real under a true understanding of how money has played into each of their own lives. So then how would you really know how money plays into your partner's lives? It's really, you know, not exactly been a topic of conversation. You know, we talk about how financial literacy is so important for as for our kids as they get older. If we could put this in, you know, school, that would be amazing. But we also need financial literacy for couples and just getting to know each other's values behind money. What is it that they learned about money? And so from those conversations, when we were talking about money scripts, just having that awareness that, you know what? I I never realized that one of the thoughts I had was I was always afraid. So for this example, um, one of the partners was always afraid to buy a house. She wasn't exactly sure why until we delved into it a little bit more. And it was because as a child, her mother rented. And so they would move from place to place to place. And there there was never enough money to purchase a house. And so she always had more of a scarcity mindset where she was nervous about putting in the money to buy a home, to have that permanency, because what would happen? Would, you know, would they have enough money? And they, she always felt she was acting reactively to her money. She was never being able to get up, get ahead of the debt. And so in just working through that and when her partner, you know, when he learned of that and they talked about it more, just seeing the compassion for each other, it's just amazing to see. And then moving on from there to go, okay, now we've had that. But another thing that I work with, with my clients is doing a rescripting. So there, you know, usually there's one or two main money scripts that right away you identify with and you think, wait a second, this is not serving me anymore. And so we work on a rescripting where 
as we know, is very difficult to do a 180, right? People talk about going cold turkey on a diet and it's, you just, it's not going to happen. You cannot, you know, that's why the whole term is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But what you can do is take those incremental steps. And so um, Brooke Castillo talks about a thought ladder. And so the thought is that you may have a thought like, I will never have enough money. Okay. So that's a money script that definitely is not serving you. Then you might go into, I have money. That's a fact. You may have a dollar in your bank account right now, but it is a fact. I have money. And then you may move to the next thought ladder, rung on the ladder, which is I have some money. Some is a subjective term. You can still have that thought. And then eventually leading you to, I will always have enough money. But you know what? It wouldn't even going back to keen on the word money. In that script, I will always have enough money. Then we're really going into what is enough. How do you, you know, how do you term that word enough for you and for your family? And so for when I'm doing the financial coaching, as much as we're getting into the numbers and I'm helping my clients learn their numbers, I'm also getting really into the whys and what is it at, at, you know, bare bones, what is it that fulfills you, sustains you, and then we move on from there. It's so fascinating, you know, having those conversations with clients uh, because it really is transformational oftentimes for them to be having those conversations and understanding kind of those, those deeper kind of what's happening um, because it impacts their behavior so much. Absolutely. I totally agree. And that's where it really does fill me with such joy when I'm talking to clients about this, because, you know, even through zoom calls, you know, you can see like their eyes just brighten when they, when they're getting it and going, now I'm understanding why I've been spending my money this way. You know, even just sharing with them some of the money psychology, like, you know, where we have neural pathways and your brain is trying to get, you know, the quickest way from point A to point B. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of time to reteach our brain something, but it's to best serve you. You know, you want to work towards things that are going to serve you in the long run, not that are going to hinder you. So you've made a big shift of, you know, going from CPA to kind of CFP and then now working in this, I mean, I guess we could say financial coaching kind of business. Um, you know, I, I'm of the belief that all of this is encompassing of what we do as financial planning. And I know in the CFP, they teach us cash flow planning. Um, now, how effective we are as a, in practice is a whole nother conversation. Right. In this financial coaching space, what is the product or service that you're selling to clients? Like, what does that kind of look like? What is that? How do you position that to clients? Because I'm not sure. I'm curious if people are, are really excited to go kind of in depth with this right away. Yeah. And that's such a good question, Hannah, because it really, the, the people who I'm looking for, the people who I'm looking to serve are looking to delve a little bit deeper into the whys of their spending versus just going through possibly let's fix your pain point right here. So the way I serve is I will, first of all, share um, in just a short series of videos before we even get started, um, just some money psychology, just some more about your brain and how it works, um, which is not necessarily how all most financial planners work. Um, but I do agree that as financial planners, and I think that was another thing that as I was working with clients, and you get this as well. I know that 
people say you're a coach, you're a therapist, you're, you know, you, we're not licensed, right? But you get so much information from someone's life, even though they're coming to you to look to you for, you know, proactive, comprehensive financial planning. But you, you, I mean, you know, as well as I, it can get deep and it can get heavy. And so for me, it was, I wanted to kind of take that piece first of who can I serve with the wise? And I was thinking of those people who attended Financial Peace University and yes, and, and kind of just doing some almost like a cash flow planning boot camp, so to speak. So for six sessions, I will work with my clients and I do a little bit longer when I'm working with clients who are looking for college cost planning. But for six sessions, I will work with my clients. And so the first session is going back into those whys behind the spending. So we'll they've watched the videos, but before our first session together, I'll send them the Klontz Money Script Inventory Assessment. And this is the assessment that Dr. Brad Klontz has created. And it really identifies the four main categories of money scripts, money avoidance, money focus, money vigilance, and now I'm forgetting the last one, money scarcity. But to have that and to go, and so it's money avoidance, money focus, money status, and money vigilance. And then to have those, have those four main categories and to go over that assessment in our first session together. And that gives them some knowledge as to maybe why they keep spending their money until they only have $5 left in their checking account, you know, every two weeks. And then we'll go over that assessment and identify one or two money scripts that they want to work on in our first session together and throughout the sessions. And then that's when we will do a thought ladder and start to do a rescripting through our sessions together. So that's the first session. And then the second session is doing some goal setting and creating an action board. So goal setting, the way that I do it, and I like to, basically what I've done is gone into the financial services industry, identified where I think my clients can best be served and pulling really great pieces. Um, and so Dr. Klontz's money script inventory assessment is one. George Kinder's three questions are another. And so for George Kinder's three questions, I feel those really drill down into what is super important and also goes and uh, gets really into crystal clear what it is that my clients are looking for. And so I'll ask them the three questions. We'll go ahead and set aside, you know, what those goals are. And then from those goals, I will have them create uh, an action board as their homework. And an action board is a vision board, which we hear about, but I also want my clients to take action because you can have a vision board and that's great, but then to have the action behind it. So I usually provide a couple action pictures um, so that they can get started on their action board. And so that's for session two prior to session three. So session three, they send me their action board and then we'll do a financial snapshot live during the, during the Zoom call. And that financial snapshot, it is a balance sheet. I don't call it though a statement of net worth because some people will tie their self-worth to their net worth. So I don't do that. So we have the financial snapshot and then session four, 
um, I go ahead and see where their money is going. Now, prior to session four, and I'm going to talk about another amazing thing that I use, but in prior to session four is I will have my clients go through three months of their bank statements and credit card statements. I discourage using a budgeting app. I discourage using a credit card summary. And the reason why is because when they're going line by line, I've had clients tell me it's excruciating and they know this, but they've got skin in the game. They are trying to get to know their numbers. And this way they're able to see their numbers line by line, how many times they went out for takeout that week, et cetera. So when we get to session four, then we use something that some of your listeners may know as budgeting blocks that is created by you, Hannah. And the reason why I like the budgeting blocks is because it gives that visual. So we have visual learners, we have auditory learners, but the visual, you have this in front of you. And now you can see before you had a spreadsheet, which not everybody identifies with. And now you've got these blocks in front of you where every block has an expense tied to it. And in order to you know, decide how are we going to go back to session two to those goals that we set? How are you going to go ahead and now say, okay, let's set aside some of these cubes. We need to pull them from these expenses that are no longer serving us because we have a greater purpose for them. And we're going to put them in these goals that we've talked about in session two. So that's session four. And then session five is then when I provide them a cash flow plan. And that's based on the goals that we had set back in session two. It's identifying then where we're pulling the money from, from session four. And then session six is usually about three weeks later because typically I'm meeting with my clients week by week. Like I said, it's kind of like a boot camp. And then session six is about three weeks later. And that's me checking in with them. It's making sure that they're staying accountable and that they're implementing their cash flow plan. And the reason I make this super short is on purpose because I want it to basically be impactful in a short amount of time. So with starting to set that habit, they can do ongoing financial coaching with me if they want to. Sometimes I work with financial advisors and I will send these clients back to their financial advisor, but it's this way. It's just getting in a really impactful short amount of time that we can then say, okay, now let's see what we can do with this. For this service. So how long of time does this usually go over? So it's typically, so for my six sessions, it's about eight weeks because it'll be week by week sessions one through five. And then a couple of weeks later will be session six. So it's, it's pretty jam packed in a short amount of time. And then how much do you charge for something like this? Yeah. So my sessions for, if, if you're looking for um, the basic, I would say the financial coaching package, it's 175 per session. Um, and if it's including the college cost planning, then it's $200 per session. And in those sessions, I add two more sessions to it. And those are also longer. And I'm integrating the College Aid Pro software into that. So it's introducing the College Aid Pro software, introducing college planning 101 to my clients and how to save for college, and then incorporating the software with the student on the second call so that the whole family can see the numbers and start to appreciate the numbers from different perspectives. So you're actually bringing the students in into these conversations as well then on the college planning side. Yes. Yes. Because so often I hear where the parents, you know, as parents we have, I mean, we have younger ones, but for, you know, for parents of older kids, you know, 
these are young adults. They have their own ideas. They have their own thoughts, especially about college. And they may not be the same and typically they're not as the parents. And so then to have everybody in the same room, looking at the same information at the same time. And again, it's kind of like when I'm working with couples, I am that third party providing the information. They can all discuss it, but I'm an unbiased third party. So sometimes it's helpful for the student to talk with me as well as for the parents to talk with me. They may not be talking to each other right then, but they're still talking. We're still generating this conversation about the college costs. So much goes into money and there's so much shame and identity and things tied into this. And so I'm curious with those conversations that you're having with the parents and the, and the child, is there a lot of shame kind of wrapped in that of like, we should be able to afford your college and we can't or expectations on either side? You know, there sometimes is some shame and I think it's, you know, as parents, what is our ultimate goal? Like, you know, going back to Kinder's three questions, like if you had all the money in the world, you know, I think uh, as a parent, you would be able to say, I want to fully fund my, you know, my child's college education. I mean, all we hear about is the student loan debt crisis. And so we certainly don't want to saddle our kids with that. Obviously, I think most of us want our kids to have some skin in the game and, you know, work towards it in whatever way, shape or form you know, just to get a little bit of a, more of an understanding for it. But there's, you know, I definitely try to alleviate that shame and just saying, you know, that what you've done is amazing. And we're going to learn from this point on as to what more, you know, we can do to just make this college experience the best it can be. And also like identifying some of those colleges that they may have thought, you know, based on, you know, need-based aid or merit aid, maybe they didn't think that there was a college that was in their affordability scale. But when you're looking at the EFC and looking at what it is that they can actually provide, that actually changes the game for them quite a lot. So that's been really impactful as well in just being able to provide that information. As you've kind of transitioned into this financial coaching space away from financial planning, I'm curious how you would how you would compare and contrast kind of the role that financial planners traditionally play versus what you're doing in your space. I like to very quickly boil it down to I help them walk before they run. And you know, it's really just so often was with financial planners traditionally that people need to have money to invest with a financial planner. And they may feel that shame in that they don't have the money, but they don't even know where to get started because maybe they have some debt, but they don't even know how to get out of it. And so that's where I feel like I kind of start them off just at, you know, at a walk, just a very comfortable walk where let's, let's start looking at your numbers first. Let's start talking about, you know, why your numbers look the way they do and then start tweaking and making adjustments. Carl Richards always talks about, you know, the airline pilot that you make small adjustments in the flight plan, but it can make a big difference in the end. And so making those small tweaks that that can still get you in such a much better direction for your financial future. And, but just starting off in that much more basic area where I feel is traditionally financial planning People are coming to you as prospects and they're saying, here are my assets to invest. And that's not, that's not what I'm looking for for my clients. What I'm looking for is to really help them at that, you know, cash flow level first and then to set them to go meet with another financial planner, meet with myself if they want, but basically serving them to 
really empower them to know their numbers, feel comfortable about going to a financial planner and maybe saying, okay, I don't have that many assets yet to invest, but you know what I do have? I've got some money that I'm saving every month and I want to start investing it. And what, you know, what could you, how can you help me as a comprehensive financial planner? And are you working with financial planners right now as like a a joint referral or kind of what is that? What does your relationship look like with financial planners that you work with? So I do work with uh, financial planners and basically the way it works is if I, you know, if a financial advisor is seeing someone who they need a little bit more handholding that they've worked with them on the cash flow. It's not, it's not really clicking with the client and they feel like maybe let's take a pause in the financial planning and maybe you can go see Maggie. And I've actually provided scripts, Hannah, to financial advisors, which helps them because it's not an easy conversation to say, Hey, you know what? You know, I, this is not maybe the best place for you right now, but I know someone, her name's Maggie. She, I think she will really help you take that deeper dive into the spending and the cash flow, and then you're going to come right back to me. It's going to take, you know, six to eight weeks. And that's where, you know, when I'm working with financial advisors, um, it helps them just give their client that pause and that space to just, you know, take a step back. And for financial advisors who are afraid, because I do have my own RIA, I do provide a non-solicitation agreement because my goal is to help my clients in the coaching and just getting their, you know, their ducks in a row, getting that, you know, that walk down. And so I certainly am never in the the space to poach on, on clients because that is not what I'm here for. My, my goal is to just serve them in the way that they best be served at that point in time. And typically it's just with getting their cash flow needs met and then tweaking that, like I said, a little bit so that they can start moving towards those savings goals. What would you want financial planners to know about that cash flow of how, you know, how could a practicing financial planner maybe serve their clients maybe a little bit better um, than they're doing today? Yeah. And I, I think it's honestly just asking some questions and we hear about this a lot, you know, to do the active, you know, asking the questions, doing the active listening, but asking questions maybe as, you know, just going back to that basic one-on-one and, and asking, you know, you know, how do you feel about, you know, how much money you have in your bank account right now? How do you feel about, you know, when you're looking at your, your balance sheet that I'm providing you and do you have any questions about it? And just holding the space to just say whatever you want to talk about here, whatever money questions you have, it, this is a safe space because there are no dumb questions. And I think that hinders so many people from, you know, touching base with a financial planner because they don't want to appear stupid. And yet here we are as financial planners saying, we're here, we're here to help and to serve you. But sometimes it's just kind of going back. I heard this term once with, um, with one of them of the finance fixed participants. And I love this so much. Don't start at chapter three you know, start at the table of contents, start at, you know, at the table of contents, start with the basics because we may think, oh, well, we want to prove our technical expertise and show everybody how much we know, but they're just coming to us and they just have, they can have very basic questions. I can't tell you how many times 
when I'm doing a Zoom call and when we're going through the financial snapshot, Hannah, they will look at me with these eyes like, well, this is what I, okay, I'm going to give you this, this next amount. And I hope, you know, this is probably the largest amount you've seen. And, you know, I just try to treat them with such compassion and just give them the space to say, okay, thank you for providing that. I mean, even in my very first, you know, prospect call, when somebody has reached out and, and clicked on that connect with me on my website, when, when we first talk, I congratulate them. I said, thank you for contacting me. You know, kudos to you for reaching out and clicking the connect with me because, you know, as financial planners, and I know because as I've talked with other financial advisors and working with them, how often is it that we provide a financial plan and it's crickets afterwards? They have ghosted. They are terrified. They're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do, you know? And so it's just sometimes just saying, hey, congratulations on connecting with me. That might be all that that person can do right then and there. You might not hear from that person. And sometimes I don't hear from people for a few months because just doing the connect with me, that's all they have the space to do at that point in time. And that's okay. I'm here. You know, so I think as financial planners, it's just going ahead and giving them the space at just really at the beginning of their journey. When I started I assumed that clients who, you know, had the seven figures wealth had it figured out on cash flow planning. And I learned that when you start asking some of those deeper questions is that they actually have questions on what they should be doing too. And so it, it just kind of opened up my, my perspective a lot on realizing that people at every income level have questions on budgeting and cash flow, And, and, and it's, yes. it's, it's very much just, it's, it's, the system that we've created in our world right now, like it's, it's hard for people. Um, to kind of navigate yes. no matter, even if they have navigated it well, it still can be difficult. Absolutely. There've been, I mean, there've been numerous studies, I think just because of COVID, you know, there's been more studies about, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And, and I've seen studies showing, you know, upwards of over 200,000 that you're earning this. And sometimes I've seen it, the number 400,000 people just have questions. I think uh, the New York times actually was just putting something out recently about, a couple who they're in San Francisco, they're earning over 400,000 and they're living paycheck to paycheck. And that created such a response from people, but the response is varied. And I think to your point, you, you know, you have no, we have no idea what is going on with, you know, with the person or with the couple and their questions until we ask questions and then just hold the space for them to just share with us. And how important it is to not be judgmental with clients. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, I just, I feel just in my gut, you know, Hannah, when these, when I'm doing that financial snapshot and when the, when the, you know, the couple, they're looking at me and they just have these eyes like, oh, please don't, you know, please don't hate us. Please. You know, when the dad is like, it's okay. It's okay. And that's, I mean, that's why money is still such a taboo topic. You know, we always talk about, you know, you can talk about sex. You can talk about politics. You don't talk about money. And it's, you know, people think the it's, so this is going to be a funny uh, thought. I hear more of people when they have a house cleaner come to their house, they will clean their house up before the house cleaner comes because they don't want the house cleaner to think ill of them. It's like, oh my gosh, but that's what the house cleaner is for. So similarly, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you with your money. We're here to help answer your questions and certainly provide a non-judgmental experience. 
Maggie, as we are wrapping up, I am curious, what advice would you give to financial planners who are starting out today? There are so many avenues and I appreciate this podcast so much because there are so many avenues that are coming out of, you know, being a financial planner, whether it's in a firm, whether it's your own RIA, whether it's, you know, becoming a, you know, possibly going do the coaching route a little bit. I think there's so many ways that we can offer financial planning that the sky's the limit and you just, you just have, and it, and the other thing is if it's not, if it hasn't been created yet, why not create it for yourself? I think often, and this is changing, the landscape is certainly changing, but why not think outside the box? We've seen this with FinTech. We've, you know, we're seeing this more and more that, um, companies and firms are are changing even like you're not having those traditional roles anymore and so challenge challenge if you're you know looking to come into the financial planning space now see what's out there and if you don't see what's out there you know start to do some informational interviews with other people other firms and just find out what people are open to and start also thinking about what is it that you want to create for yourself Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.